Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, this is the Autosport Podcast, and I'm your host, Bryn Lucas. There have been five different winners in the last five visits to Monza for the Italian Grand Prix, but with a certain Max Verstappen looking for the outright record of consecutive wins, he'd have to break that chain. He won at Monza in 2022, but could he do it again? Would he secure that record, taking the consecutive wins for Red Bull to 15? Or could the prancing horse get a victory on home soil? Well, to look back at all the action from what was a pretty entertaining afternoon, I have with me, live from Monza, Philip Clearan, the editor at Autosport, Jake Boxall Leg, JBL for short, F1 writer at Autosport, and Kevin Turner, the chief editor. You've guessed it from Autosport. Good to have all you three with me. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Always delighted to be on. Uh, whether you'll feel about that by the end of this podcast is uh, a very different thing. I'm just going to have to get used to not calling you Martin. So, <laughs> for those who don't know who Martin is, he's the regular voice here on the Autosport podcast. And, and Phil, good to have you as well. Good to be here. Lovely. Right, let's start then, shall we? Because going into this one here, it was all Verstappen, Verstappen, Verstappen. Will he get the record? Will he not get the record? But I don't want to start there. It's in Italy. It's Monza, the, the Tifosia there. You know, they're being as loud and as raucous as ever. Let's start with the easy question. How do Ferrari fans feel about today's race? Most people are quite excited and I think they probably have a good reason to because they saw a motor race. They saw two Ferrari drivers fighting wheel to wheel until the end. No team orders, no frozen positions, which maybe would have, you know, it would have been good for their blood pressure, but they saw a motor race right until the end. And Ferrari just threw the kitchen sink at it. They went for it. They really focused on a bespoke Monza package that would give them the best chance to beat Rebel probably this year. They fell short because Rebel is still better, but they they got pole. They dared to dream as they, they, they like to say themselves and they got, well, close enough. So I think that the Tifosi will appreciate that because they, you know, they, they saw two races that really were fighting with uh you know a bit between their teeth and uh you know gave it a good go. 
Yeah, I'm glad you said that because um, I felt like this was the opposite to this first half of 2022 when Ferrari had a competitive car and found new and imaginative ways to lose races to Red Bull. And this weekend, they you know, they didn't have the basic kit, but as you say, they did everything they could. They had a Monza spec package. Carlos Sainz was on it. I think this is perhaps his finest overall race weekend performance we've seen for him. Usually you expect Charles Leclerc to be quicker, certainly. Uh, he's been the qualifying king and he tends to be quicker with the time management over a stint as well. Um, and they were both they were both right there. No science ace to start. I did think maybe Leclerc could have been more forceful on the first corner. But actually, when you look at the replays, if you'd been more forceful, there's a good chance he'd have tanked into the back of science and taking the two Ferraris out of the first corner at the Italian Grand Prix probably wouldn't have been his wisest career move. So I think Ferrari did absolutely everything they could. I was really pleased to see science be that combative against Max Verstappen. I think we've seen too many times in the past this season drivers going, oh, it's Max, it's Red Bull, he's going to breeze past me. You know, Lando couldn't get out of the way quick enough at the British Grand Prix. Final performance though that was. And Science really made it as absolutely hard as he could. It was inevitable that Verstappen was going to go past and win the race. If he hadn't done it on track, I'm sure he'd done it in the pit stops. But it felt like Ferrari did absolutely the best that they could with what they had. Um, and 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 they made a race. They made it more interesting than it than it could have been. It's probably their best performance, certainly in the last couple of seasons. Um, I, I don't have too much to add on what Kev said, but watching Carlos Sainz today, it, he, he just it, he seemed to be a different man. It was just seeing rather than seeing someone just take punch after punch after punch, as we've kind of so often seen. You know, he's he's, he's been outpaced by Leclerc over the last couple of seasons in that. In their, in their years as teammates he's kind of been this put upon teammate and we're kind of you know we hold Leclerc up as this generational talent that, that can match Max and that can match Lewis Hamilton that kind of thing and science has kind of been the other one but this has been kind of his I think this has been kind of his defining moment really someone that shows that when Ferrari sort of wants to to make something of this race he, he can be the man that takes that forward and starts throwing the punches himself it was uh such a strong drive and so he must absolutely be commended for that Leclerc was also he was good he sort of hung in there with with the Red Bulls and science but he wasn't the one that was showing the star quality today he was just kind of keeping himself afloat I guess although the fact that we say that you know science's best weekend Leclerc or perhaps not quite the one like he finished on his gearbox so I think, you know, overall, I still maintain that Leclerc is the the longer term Ferrari team leader. But it's just really nice, as you say, JBL, for Science to, to come out of that shadow at such a big venue for the team. If you had been super hypercritical, because I get the impression Bryn wants a bit more of an argument, I could say, you know, should they have, should they really have let them fight to quite that ferocious a degree at the end? It's great for fans. Yeah, we loved it, you know, especially going on to the last lap with Clerk picking which side he wasn't going to hit science into the first corner. But if you're the team management and you're trying to maximise your, you know, imagine they'd hit each other. You know, they're in a fight with Mercedes and McLaren in the championship. They would look really stupid if they'd thrown away that number of points. So really fever and call for us maybe not the best sort of strategy to be fighting to the very last moment. But it wouldn't be the first time we've seen Ferrari do something like that in a race, would it? And Phil wants to come in because, you know, we heard over team radio them saying, right, you know, no team orders, but, you know, play play fair, boys, and don't mess up. And then Leclerc, like you say, on that last lap, locked up and just avoided hitting his teammates. So, Phil, take it away. But that's what I find so striking about today, that 
historically, historically, or at least the last couple of years, Ferrari has been a team that has been afraid to make mistakes, right? Afraid of throwing away a result rather than going for it. And we're in Monza in front of the Tifosi. You could have easily seen them freeze the positions easily. And just the fact that they didn't do that of all places in Monza, I thought was really impressive and really refreshing. And then the second comment I have to that was, you know, Carlos Sainz was ahead of Leclerc all weekend. So Leclerc ad- admitted as such that he was just, you know, Carlos was just better than him this weekend. But what I liked about Leclerc um, today was his reaction after the race. I mean, he lost the podium at home. He was buzzing. He was full of adrenaline after the race, despite losing out to, to Sainz. Just enjoying the race. He's a, he's a proper racer. He enjoyed battling with Sainz. Got very close a couple of times. He was still buzzing after the race. Like, well, I enjoyed this so much. It's, it's really impressive to see sometimes as well. I think that was true of Max as well. I think they all just enjoyed having a... F- I mean, Verstappen, he is a racer. And he hasn't had much racing to do this year, if we're honest. Like, even when he's been starting further back, it's cruise up behind the car ahead, open the DRS and turn on the afterburners. And, you know, he's, he, he can do more than that. And I think he had to... I know he moaned, didn't he, over the radio about this Ferrari's quick in a straight line. You think, come on, mate, one race. I think you could probably cope with it. But he got down to the task and he, 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 he kept going and he did what you expect the great drivers to do. He found a way to win the race. Yeah, on that though, uh, there were a couple of messages over team radio again that sometimes you think, are you doing this because, you know, you're just trying to start putting questions into people's minds. Is there going to be a penalty this way and that way? And Carlos Sainz got accused by Verstappen and also by Perez for doing a couple of moves under braking, shall we say, going into that um, first chicane there. Now, I didn't really see any huge problem. In commentary, I don't think they did either. What are your thoughts on that? Was it just a bit of team radio play or did Max and Sergio have a point? I think there was one example where where Perez maybe kind of had a grievance and I think uh, they, they did mention in commentary as well it was just a point where Sainz was kind of parking in the middle of the road it was almost a sort of Verstappen special in a, in, in a sense the the sort of moves that Max was doing a couple of years ago it wasn't quite moving under braking but it was sort of placing his car in a position where it was a little bit borderline but I think everything else was generally of a standard where it was absolutely fine and I think the drivers said as much after the race you know Leclerc in particular you know uh, I guess science uh, to us again that last one where Leclerc locked up quite heavily that was a little bit borderline but it, he didn't seem to mind it was just um, properly on the limit racing maybe we've just become desensitized to it now in you know this sort of like there's so many rules of engagement now and it's hard to know kind of where the line is uh, maybe in kind of the modern day you know we think oh that's a little bit borderline but maybe you know 20 years ago it would have been absolutely fine so but yeah I think generally uh, it was of a very very good standard and it was it, it made the race even though it was very very uh, predictable in terms of the result it was just fantastic to watch. No, I completely agree actually and I think there was that I think with the, one of the reasons we're having this problem particularly at that first chicane at Monza is that you know we've all got this in head you can't run another car off the road so some of the drivers have been trying to use this. They just send it around the outside into the right-hander and then they use that as an argument of, well, oh, I've had to cut across because he didn't get many room or he should jump out the way. But that's not how physics work with the left-hander. 
And I thought it was very telling that although Verstappen had a moan about it, he knew full well when he was alongside science that he wasn't alongside enough and bailed out of it. And I did think, yeah, I wonder why he didn't do that in 2021. But we won't go back there uh, for just, just for the moment. But yeah, I think there was one lap where Perez was genuinely enough alongside that science probably should then have given him a bit more room. But generally it was... It's, it's difficult to do a move there. You've got to be fully alongside. The, the person that did it best, I thought, actually, was when Hamilton passed Albon. You were that far ahead that you then, you, the person is already to the right, so they can't turn in on you. That That's a that's a proper move into that chicane. Obviously, he had the tyre advantage at that point in the race. And, you know, apart from the slightly odd move on Piastri, he's usually pretty good at that sort of thing. <laughs> I like the way you've described that. Look, I think we should move it on from Ferrari because I think we all agree really that it was a, it was a good weekend for Ferrari, a, a great 29th birthday present really for science as well. Um, so that's a really nice way to start the podcast. Let's move on to the record breaker. Let's talk about Max Verstappen again, shall we? So 10 consecutive wins. That was what everyone was asking. Can he do it? Well, he did it. That's 12 out of 14 races this season. A stat for you as well, if I can find it on my, my sheet of paper here, which it will disappear from my mind immediately. This was the 27th win of his since the start of last season, tying Sir Jackie Stewart's entire career total, which was the outright F white wins record from 1973 to 1987. Now I can see a lot of you pulling your hair and going, oh, for goodness sake, these records are so different. They didn't race as many times. It's a completely different beast. So who wants to tackle that one straight away? How did I know I was going to get volunteered for that? Now I think it's, you know, first of all, it, it is a remarkable achievement. We have to, we have to say that, you know, I thought, um, uh, Toto's comments about it, you know, only people on wiki caring is a, is a little bit unfair. Come on, Toto, you're better than that. I think that's just a, a hangover from his, the, the antipathy that him and Christian Horner have, you know, that we know that the level in Formula One of the teams, the professionals and the money, the, you know, just the intelligence on, in the paddocks to be able to be that dominant. Uh, is something that you know is is a very rare moment, and it should be yeah we we you know, we should celebrate it and say you know tip a hat and say that is is a mega job. I think when it comes to comparing across eras, you get into a, that's a whole different podcast, Bryn. But I would say that strike rates is one of the things I look at. Um, Jackie Stewart's strike rate was twenty seven from ninety nine races. Uh, Max's is forty seven from one hundred and seventy seven. So it's actually it's actually a pretty similar. It's pretty similar ballpark, you know. A lot of the great greats have got a, a strike rate of sort of between twenty and thirty percent. Yeah, Max is on that at the moment, um, and he's having that that dominant run. Of course, these days cars are more reliable. You know, back in the sixties and seventies, if you had a car that good, you it would still break down a third of the time. <laughs> so you wouldn't be able to string these wins together. But yeah, I think Red Bull have got everything covered, haven't they? They've got a fast car in the race. It doesn't matter if they get out qualified. Max knows how to race. They execute the pit stops and the strategy. If I was being a little bit harsh, I would say, I think a lot of the other greats have had more difficult teammates to contend with. I know we get criticised sometimes for being a bit anti-Sergio Perez. That's not really the case. He's just a very good driver and Max Verstappen is a great one and he demonstrates it every other week. Um, but yeah, no, you've got to say 10, 10, out, 10 straight wins is... Yeah, it is It is a worthy F1 record. Just going to Red Bull for a second, it's an incredible record. 24 of the last 25 Grand Prix they have won. I mean, that is astounding. And you look at it and think, well, if this carries on like some of the drivers are claiming this is going to go to, what, the end of 2025, and Max carries on at the same rate that he's, current at, he's going to be at right now, that could be another 30, 35 wins for Max Verstappen by the end of 2025, putting him up there, 
with the, the the most winners of all time. He'll be maybe 20 behind Hamilton, something like that, but he'll be creeping up the back of Michael Schumacher, won't he? Well, maybe that's why Lewis has signed his Mercedes contract, so that he can be, he's like, none of the others on this grid are going to stop him, I'm going to have to do it. It's, as an old man, him and Fernando with their walking sticks still being the ones to take it to, uh, take it to Max. Well, let's talk a bit about Sergio then, because we have a little nod to Sergio there. Um, his first podium finish at Monza since second place in 2012 when he was racing for Salva. So it's not a place traditionally that Sergio does all that well at, shall we say? I mean, that's all relative, I suppose. But talk, you through, talk us through his race. He, he seemed to do pretty well in the end. I thought he was going to fade, but he managed to fight, which was decent. Yeah, it was uh, a very, very solid uh, effort. Um, it did take him a very, well, quite a long time comparatively to get past uh, George Russell, who was like uh, science putting in some very very good defensive moves to kind of watch that battle that was the thing that was keeping I guess the wall from the door uh, at that moment in time um, from the Ferraris and Verstappen up front but once Perez was past Russell and free um, you know he was free to challenge and he was very much in the the Ferraris mirrors from that point in time it just kind of seemed like uh, you know an inevitability and there was that kind of sense that Perez would get past um very very soon so it, it, it was kind of expected i think just the strengths of that red bull chassis um was always going to shine through and uh, but the thing that kind of impressed me a little bit towards the end was the fact that he actually reeled max in and whether that was verstappen kind of taking his foot off the gas he usually does at the end of the race and just doing what he needs to do Perhaps, but we've seen over the over the season that Max doesn't like to do that. He'll like to, you know, try and build up a massive gap and go and do something ridiculous. So Perez was able to, I think he got it down to about six point five to about seven seconds, given that he was a, a fair whack adrift before that. But until he got past the Ferraris, uh, it was a good effort. Uh, I don't think it, it, anything would have ever come on it if the race had been another ten laps long. But um, nonetheless, it was a it was an accomplished drive, and it's one that you know we sh- we expect to see from him. Sometimes you know he, he just has those days where he's anonymous, and thankfully for him, that wasn't one of them. Max did say he was managing an issue in the last few few laps. I don't know if Phil from the track has got any more details on on that. Um, he sort of hinted at it and then Nico Rosberg didn't follow up. Red Bull were actually a little bit concerned about uh, some temperatures on Max's car. So uh, they could see also that ahead of Max, there was a gaggle of cars with Pierre Gasly and a few other cars in front of him. Now, Gasly had a shocker for Alpine, but at that point he was on fresher tyres, so Max wouldn't have, you know, he would have been stuck there for a little bit. So they were a little bit concerned about, you know, his temperatures rising. But, Ronald Fording, our Dutch colleague, also spoke to Helmut Marko after the race. And Marko cheekily suggested that, you know, that was also a good way to discourage uh, Max from going for the fastest lap and risk it. So maybe it was a bit of both. Who Who's to say? Fair enough. Now, you just mentioned Alpine there uh, and Gasly. So rather than just running down, oh, the next two, let's talk about Mercedes. Let's just jump to Alpine very quickly because... They had a very, very tricky weekend, didn't they, Alpine? Pierre Gasly ended up finishing 15th, 82 seconds off of Max Verstappen and Ocon uh, DNF. They have started to question this engine freeze for them. What are our thoughts on this engine freeze and Alpine's struggles? Alpine are saying that they're up to 30 horsepower down on, on the best engines. And I guess... This weekend was good evidence to uh, make that claim. It's not just about the engine, though, because clearly, you know, 
that car is not as competitive as it should be. Um, just probably doesn't have the best uh, downforce package either. So that combination just made them um, just not quick enough. And if you look at how tight midfield is this year, if you miss out on a track like this, you're just going to be straight towards the back. Yeah, I think the drivers said that they expected to be knocked out in Q1 anyway. They are citing this kind of shortfall in engine performance. The GPS data is ultimately going to tell them kind of where they fall short. Uh, you can, you know, you can break up the track sector by sector and sort of nanosector by nanosector to kind of get a picture of where the team is struggling the most. But it was a very, very poor result for the team, given the the highs of Zandvoort and Pierre Gasly getting a podium. They've been fantastic in, in wet weather conditions. And uh, this is the first race weekend, I think, since Baku this season, where there's been no rain over the weekend. And it was a very, very miserable experience for them. So um, I'm sure when it comes to Singapore and when it comes to Japan they'll probably be hoping for a little bit of rain if they can't actually find genuine gains in their car setup. It's a bit frustrating, isn't it? Because we know that the core of that team is good and they've got championship winning pedigree, although obviously going back quite a long way now, but they've been kind of stuck in this middling position for too long. Um, and obviously they've had a lot of internal changes, staff coming in and out. And so, you know, it's it's another rebuilding exercise, isn't it? And you just, you know, the, the belief that they're ever going to get there sort of diminishes over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're better than they look this weekend. You know, Aston Martin are stronger than they were at Monza. Um, some cars just work better, uh, you know, at certain tracks. And this clearly, the high-speed track didn't suit Aston and Alpine. But yeah, Aston Martin can at least look forward to probably being a bit more competitive at, you know, some of the tracks coming up. But yeah, a lot of work to do at Alpine, I think. If I can just uh, jump off that as well, because um, as Kev said, they've been sat in that holding pattern for a very long time and they had that um, five-year plan for, uh, uh, you know, being a championship contender or something. And then that got changed to a 100-race plan. And then that wasn't quick enough, which is why Otmar Safnauer is no longer employed by the team. It's... And and it's hard to say anything now because they're going through yet another change and we're expecting a new team principal to be in the fold at the end of the season. But it's just absolutely directionless as a team. And I I don't really understand what it's trying to, to do, what it's trying to achieve you would sense that the best sort of way forward is for, for Renault, the Renault group to just sort of like focus on, on manufacturing the engines, ensuring that's the best that it can be. And then, I don't know, leave the race team in the hands and the stewardship of somebody else. Maybe you sell it to Andretti because uh, allegedly there's this plan for a partnership between if Andretti got a, uh, an F1 team, them taking the Renault powertrain. That would make sense because then you would have somebody that can operate a race team and they do that across several different categories. And then you have a different kind of... Um, and then you have a different group in charge of the engines and then resources aren't spread and that kind of thing. Because at the moment, you just see, you know, it's like too much, too little butter spread over too much toast. It's just not covering the whole lot. And every race after race, they might get a podium. But I don't see them, unless there's a massive turnaround for 2026, getting a win again for a while. And the only wins that they have got over the last couple of years have been complete luck. So there's my there's my Alpine run. It's a nice one. It was a very nice run as well. Well done. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, 
Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about team struggling. Uh, let's just have a look at Haas, shall we? I mean, they're a, Ferrari, they're a Ferrari-powered car, shall we say? And they are the only team that both drivers were lapsed. The only, in fact, of the, the entire race, of those drivers that finished the race, they were the only two that were lapped. So... What have we learnt, or perhaps what have we not learnt from Haas, from Monza? Well, I don't think we've really, really learnt anything new because they've been struggling all year converting their one-lap pace that is in that car to last uh, across race distance. They are just chewing and chewing and chewing through their tyres. And they just, yeah, again, midfield is so tight, you, you can't have that. You need to have a consistent race pace or you're just going out the back door it's just that simple and it looks like it is something inherent with this car is it linked to the Ferrari rear end that they are getting because Ferrari have also been struggling with tyre it's is an easy link to make we we won't know until next year really you know if it's an inherent issue that means a new chassis so we'll we'll see if they can fix it for next year but clearly they haven't really found ways to mitigate it in the meantime so yeah, it doesn't look like they'll be able to turn this around this season. Yeah, they're the only team that both drivers are on two-stop strategies at a track where it was fairly obviously a one-stop, even with the fact that it was high degradation and teams expected. But, you know, Hulkenberg started on the medium. Magnussen was one of three cars to start on the hard, and it didn't work for either. And they both had to have two stops and were, I mean, yeah, they were they were at the back and, as you say, lapped. So... Uh, it's a shame really because some of Hulkenberg's qualifying efforts this year I think have been superb and those two drivers are kind of getting wasted a bit really just because they can't they can't keep the tyres together it must be incredibly frustrating for them to be fair to Hulkenberg and I think um, he was helped a little bit by the fact that, that Yuki Tsunoda didn't start the race because he had this nice free grid slot in front of him and so at the start he just absolutely gunned it down there was able to get past Fernando Alonso so he was up in the points for a little bit but Unfortunately, it's it's just inevitable that you're going to see, no matter where Hulkenberg or on occasion Magnussen put that car, it's just inevitable that they're going to slide out of the points and then they've got to go and do a weird pit strategy just to get to the end. Uh, I think I, because I, I spoke to, to Hulkenberg about this in, in Hungary and he says, we almost have to take ourselves out of the races to get to the end of them. And that's not anywhere that anybody that a racing driver that a racing team wants to do because they're there to race with other cars you can't just go well we're gonna have to you know all the other teams in this midfield battle they're doing 134s but we can only do a 136 per lap because that's the only way that these tires are going to stay alive it's just basically circulating around a track for for the hell of it and as Kev says, yes, yeah, a waste of two very, very strong drivers because all they're doing is just commuting for, for two hours every Sunday afternoon. And that's about it. Kevin Magnussen's on a multi-year deal. Uh, Hulkenberg's 
signed for 2024. We know that. Why would you stay there if it's looking so bleak? Is there something that they know or has already thinking for 2024 they're going to be more competitive and they've managed to compel the drivers to stay? Or is it just, okay, there's a there's a paycheck if I stay here? I think they have some trust in the process. Uh, again, this is something that, that, that I asked uh, Holkerberg in uh uh, in Zanvor. I think he misunderstood the question willingly and he said, oh, I'm here because I love it. There's uh, no failing that. I'm sure he's loving being back in F1 and being able to sort of get the results. But I think they both know it's a long-term project. Um, you know, trying to work out an issue that's probably, as Phil mentioned, inherent in the car. That's waiting until next season. Uh, and Magnussen showed last year that when the car is good, the team can get something out of that. So they just kind of have to hope that um, next year's car's a little bit better and then go from there. Yeah, I was going to say, to be fair to, to Haas, look where they were in, in 2021. You know, they've, the, the team has shown that it can make progress and improve. And the one lap performances this year show that, you know, the car isn't fundamentally terrible. Uh, yeah, it's a specific issue they also need to sort out. So, yeah, I'm sure that neither the driver think, oh God, this this is the team just doesn't know what it's doing. It's they've got a specific issue that hopefully they will be able to solve, and then they should be back in. Yeah, you know, it'd be good to see them both you know, in, the, in that midfield, incredibly tight midfield fight again next year. We mentioned tyres. We actually mentioned split strategy there with Haas as well. But what about Mercedes? They had a, a split tyre strategy. Lewis started on the hards, and George was on the mediums, and arguably George had a better race. I mean, he finished further up the grid, obviously. He finished in fifth and, and Hamilton in sixth. Was that a, you know, a, a premeditated decision? Who got the better deal there? Was it a short straw and a long straw? Yeah, I think sometimes you just have to try something different because Lewis was out of position on the grid and Mercedes had been near the bottom of the top speed charts all weekend. So if he had just followed the same strategy as it comes in front, I don't think he would have been able to pass anybody. So he did try something different, starting on the hards. At the start, he was a little bit confused um, because his team called him in before the agreed lap. So he was worried about not making it to the end on, on the mediums, which he, uh, I think was picked up on a broadcast. Um, but in the end, it didn't work for him because while you know the, the uh, McLaren's was stuck behind Albon, he was able to sneak up on them and then pass them in the second stint on better tyres. So it did work out for him in this uh, occasion, and that was that was crucial for Hamilton as well, actually, because um, he'd been slapped with a five second. Both Mercedes drivers were slapped with five second penalties. Um, Russell, for some reason, decided that he was going to overtake off Ocon off track and uh, not give the place back. Ocon wasn't even in his race, and I think he just went down the road and didn't really think about it, and then. At uh, Variante de la Roja, um, Hamilton was trying to overtake Oscar Piastri, and um, for some reason, God knows why, uh, it was a proper sort of lapse in uh, concentration, but he just cut across Piastri and it's like it expected him to disappear. And it's not something you see often from Hamilton, he's usually so on the ball. So it was just, it was bizarre to kind of see that. Um, so basically, they both had to battle back from five second penalties. For Russell, it didn't really matter because he was well ahead of like Albon and, and the McLarens and all that. Um, but um, for Hamilton, yeah, it was absolutely crucial they got past Albon because um, then he could actually, I think he put about seven seconds on, on the Williams. So he had a nice little buffer by the end of it. Um, whereas in comparison, I'm sure we'll get onto this in a bit, the McLarens didn't get past and... Um, 
yeah, you could see by the gap how much the album was holding everybody up. It was a very atypical error from from Lewis, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was strange because I thought his, all his other moves are really incisive and 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 what you would expect, really. Um, like we were saying before, but that I mean, but fair play to him, he's apologised, hasn't he already? You know, he's come out and apologised, which you know Lewis does do these days. You know, he's become a bit more of a mature, older statesman type on the grid, hasn't he? From his early days, so yeah, he know he knew he made a misjudgment. He's not the first. I thought Leclerc squeezed Perez into that corner a little bit earlier on. And Leclerc actually did that to Lewis in 2019 on their way to victory. And was, I think, a little bit fortunate to get away with that at that time as well. So we've seen it a few times. But, yeah, a little bit surprising that um, there was Hamilton. I thought the penalty was entirely deserved. And as you say, made no difference to the result because we had two by two by two, didn't we? We had the Red Bulls, the Ferraris and the Mercs in the in the order that their race pace was in the end. So Mercs' alternative strategy with Hamilton did did exactly what it was meant to do, which was to get him, get him up behind the you know the other quick cars. Bill, you're over there in Monza. What was the feeling, or what could you glean maybe from the feeling from Mercedes? Because Toto was talking about them being ten kilometers per hour down on the speed trap. They were talking about having too much downforce. I mean, Hamilton was moaning, wasn't he, during practice as well that the setup was all wrong, and you know he he seemed Hamilton seemed to be sometimes the grumpy Hamilton where he just seems to be moaning a lot, <laughs> moaning a lot, moaning a lot. And Toto seemed to be doing the same at points. What was the, the mood that you could sense? Well, I think there's a sense of not wanting to settle for a third best team. If you've you know been on top for seven, eight years, you're not going to certainly be happy to be third fast, even if you had a relatively good race. Um, I think there's a couple of strands there. One is probably... Just their low downforce performance. If we see, you know, uh, Austria Spa here, it's not been their strong suit this year. Uh, we've mentioned the lack of top speed, which is obviously you know devastating on on a circuit like Monza in qualifying. But in general, just their low speed uh, hasn't really been their strong suit this season. So it's you know a team like Mercedes that used to winning is not gonna not gonna celebrate. Just a continuation of their frustrations going on at the moment. Well, let's move to another team. Let's go down a little bit further down, shall we? Because there was Liam Lawson out there making his second full F1 appearance at a Grand Prix and achieving the best result in that car for any driver that's driven that particular car this season, talking about Nick de Vries and Daniel Ricciardo. Also finishing just one place down on Yuki Tsunoda's best ever result this season in that car so what do we think about not just Liam Lawson but also Sonoda's weekend obviously had a DNS and so not ideal for him this should be fairly quick from Sonoda's point of view but what about Lawson? I think there are some some caveats to that because um, both Piastri and Sargent got five second penalties but that doesn't get in the way of the fact that Lawson had a really really strong race and actually he was on the cusp of points for, for quite a bit of it Um that that Piastri got uh, was was going to move past was um you know bait, well the Piastri got past sorry was just a dint of him having a faster car um and Sergeant well Sergeant as well was in the Williams which is a bit of a rocket ship on those straights but um yeah he was he was certainly in the mix for points uh, places during that race um and and very well could have got some um but he he was another driver to do a double stop strategy. Um, which, you know, is not going to be the quickest strategy and it is going to cost you time. Um, the AlphaTauri as well, we know that it's uh, it's flawed, but he was very, very close to, to his teammate in qualifying. 
would Sonoda have got points uh, today had his car not failed? Is possible given the way Spa went. Um, there was certainly something on there on the table, and I think the fact that to get in your second race, as you say, the best finish for for that car this season, it's a really strong job. And um, I went through all of Lawson's um, onboard footage after Zandvoort just to kind of get a picture of how his race actually went because it was sort of pretty under the radar, and and he had really really sort of strong decisive decision making there was not a lot of times where he put a foot wrong he just seemed to sort of have this assuredness and I think that carried through today the fact that he was again able to 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 keep it on the island and actually put in a very very strong qualifying result in only his second race with Formula One machinery with machinery that he's not experienced before so I think he's to be commended um is he Gonna be, if if he got made it to F one, would he be the quickest driver out there? Probably not, but he you know he's certainly solid, strong, and dependable. That's what we've seen from him in in his two races so far. What will Alpha Tauri do? What will Red Bull do? Looking at their driver lineup with Daniel Ricciardo, with Sonoda, with Liam Lawson. Now, I mean, Liam Lawson's going for the Super Formula title this year as well, so he's got that going on. And if you can drive one of those cars around those tracks in Japan, they're they're pretty hard to handle, aren't they? Super Formula cars, so. Does this pose a problem for Alpha Tauri, a good problem for them moving forward in Red Bull? I don't think at this stage, not really. They are just waiting for Daniel Ricciardo to make a full recovery. We're hearing this might take until Qatar, really. Uh, there's little chance of him making Singapore, Japan. Maybe it'll be difficult. But we've really only had Daniel back for a couple of races, so they are going to want to see him perform until the end of the season. Hopefully he can get his second half of the season back on track. And I don't think Lawson is necessarily posing a challenge just yet. He hasn't, uh, certainly hasn't had an easy task jumping in like that. And he's done a reasonably good job, but I don't think he's wowed Christian Horn or Helmut Marker just yet. But he will maybe get two more opportunities then in that car to give him that problem. Yeah, he will. And so, you know, the opportunities are super hard to come by, so it's up to him to make the most of it and yeah, show something that will convince uh, Red Bull that he does have a, a long-term future in F1. Alex Albon's on a multi-year deal at Williams, Logan Sargent, new to F1 essentially, and their results more recently, so particularly in this Grand Prix, polar opposites. Albon did a cracking job this time out, um, as he has been doing so far fairly well this season, equaling his best seventh overall. And down there, Sargent, not quite as impressive. What is going on there? What can Sargent do? Is it crunch time for him? Well, funny enough, I was talking to Alex Kalanorkas in the Monza paddock an hour or two before um, uh, before I came on. And we were talking about like, Albon came up, you know, I think he's, yeah, we've known that he's been a, you know, a, a good driver for a long time, but he's, I think he's sort of impressed, impressing us all that this year, you know, he's really maximizing that car. He's been brilliant in qualifying. You know, he's, I'll tell you what, if he ever gets the lead at the Monaco Grand Prix, he's going to win it, isn't he? Cause he's very good at keeping cars behind him. Um, you know, fair play to him. I think he's, you know, but he's almost like the new Russell for Williams, isn't he? So he's really nailing that chance. Um, that's good. Unfortunately, from Logan Sargent's point of view, it is hard as a rookie these days. They've got so little, you know, testing mileage. You know, there are thousands of miles they could rack up, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And now they don't get that. 
But I, I've not really personally. I mean, I'm interested to see what what JBL and Phil think of this. But I've not really seen anything that makes me think that Logan Sargent is a long term F1 driver. I think he was perfectly sensible. You know, he's not a terrible racing driver, but he's yeah, you know, he's someone that will I think probably become a professional driver in another category. He doesn't strike me as being quite good enough for a long term F1 career. But uh, what what do you guys reckon? I'm I'm probably in agreement with you to be honest and. You said uh, you did mention that it's very, very difficult for rookies these days because you don't get the testing. But we are now bordering on two thirds of the way through the season now, and he's he's had mileage and he's had his practice sessions. And you compare that to to Piastri, and yeah, he he's a driver that made mistakes today, but more often than not, he's very, very close to Lando Norris and sometimes ahead of him. Whereas Sargent has not really ever been able to get on terms with with Albon, and it's like it's not quite as bad, but it's weirdly similar to the kind of uh, gap that we had between Russell and Latifi over twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. It's not that bad. But um, you're starting to see this kind of big divergence in Albon being a megastar, taking up Williams to places that it shouldn't necessarily be in, and Sargent still without a point. And Albon has put the Williams team single-handedly into seventh in the Constructors' Championship. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you, have to, you have two drivers putting those performances in, and you know, you, well, I'm not going to say a challenging Alpine, but you've got that position locked down. If I if I just kind of uh, speak baselessly and without any sort of uh, evidence to, to, to either way, I think Williams probably does give him a second year. But then it either sees what kind of pulling power it has in the market from there. Um, obviously, keeping Alex Albon will be its, its, its prerogative and its, its number one sort of uh, priority uh, at the end of 2024. But we'll have to kind of wait and see whether it sort of uh, it has the pulling power to bring in a sort of a, a decent driver if Sergio Perez perhaps is on the market by that point uh, if somebody else is on the market by that point we'll, we'll have to wait and see or if Williams you know Franco Colapinto uh, finished P2 in the uh, oh sorry um, Zach O'Sullivan finished P2 in the uh, uh, the F3 standings and Colapinto just behind, just underneath him so these two are very uh, Williams drivers with a very bright future ahead of them so you know there'll be pressure perhaps next season if either of these two drivers make the step up and are able to 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 prove their worth well on sergeant i think you know to his credit i think he actually had a fairly strong weekend it's just that you know he gets undone by just that one qualifying lap not being quite good enough just just to recap we had the ata this weekend again for the second weekend after hungary alternative tyre allocations so Q1 was held on hard tyres Q2 on mediums and Q3 on softs and it was this Q2 lap of mediums that really undid Sarge's weekend a bit because that just put him out of position and uh, also after his crash in, in Zandvoort, uh, Williams put him back on a previous spec of front ring and I spoke to Logan after the race and he said like that really put me on the back foot because that ruined the balance of my car because I couldn't really you get the balance between the front ring and, and the rear wing right and that just caused a huge amount of tire deck at, at the rear so he was really fighting the car the whole way through whereas album um was able to um he didn't have an amazing pace album but he just had a straight line speed to keep the mclarens behind because obviously the mclarens are not that quick in a straight line 
So he had kind of the right cars behind him, if that makes sense, to stay where he is. So overall, on lap time, Williams wasn't that mega this weekend, but they did have the track position in Albon's case, and they made it work. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What about the the constructors at the moment? We know that Red Bull are way, way ahead. Mercedes pretty much not secure in second, but it looks like they probably will be. Ferrari just nudged ahead now of Aston Martin into third. And Aston Martin also had a, a tricky weekend as well. I mean, if you look at Fernando Alonso, a fair bit down the order for him. Lance Stroll didn't go out in FP1 because that was Drogovic having his go in the car. And then FP2 had a problem. It didn't go very well for him. You know, what do we go, what do we think or what do we glean from Aston Martin's performance? Particularly, I'm going to say Fernando Alonso as opposed to Lance Stroll. Well, again, Aston Martin is another team that doesn't have the best aerodynamic efficiency. So on a track like Monza, it's something that really catches them out a bit. So they just didn't really have the the straight line and speed to compete at the front end of the midfield this weekend. So, yeah, again, um, you know, last roll probably warrants a different discussion. Uh, but in Fernando Alonso's case, probably that was the most there was to grab this weekend. I don't know if there was a whole lot in there. Again, we saw both Williams and McLaren being slightly quicker here. So then, you you know, instantly you're suddenly the sixth fastest team. Uh, so that's how it goes now in 2023. Well, should we have a discussion about Lance Stroll and say that he's going to cost Aston Martin second or third in the Constructors' Championship and that at some point, please, can they have two? <laughs> yeah, they're up again now. They're climbing up the grid. They've done a brilliant job to jump up the grid this year. It's been one of the feel-good stories of the season. I think we'd probably all agree with that, seeing Alonso on the podium again. Uh, and they, but they've shown now that they've they are serious about taking on, you know, Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes. They're in that mix in the fight for second. But look at the driver lineups of Ferrari, Mercedes. Like they are, I would say, significantly stronger than the Aston lineup. So I, you know, I don't know what point Lawrence says to Lance, "Ah, oh, do you want to go and do sports cars and uh, or whatever, uh, or maybe he likes something else. Maybe he's completely into something else. I don't know. He wants to go surfing, whatever it is." And they get they get another hot shoe in the in. The, I think that would be a sign of intent, really, from Aston Martin to go after a real hot shoe second driver, uh, and you know then then they're going to be you know it's another step forward for them. But I, I doubt it will happen. Perhaps uh, JBL and Phil will have an opinion on that being in the paddock more often. But uh, yeah, it feels to me like increasingly obvious that they've got a, a too big a weakness in the second car. 
Yeah, there have been reports that actually Aston has been sniffing out and sounding out Charles Leclerc and Landon Norris for potentially 2025 or beyond. Now, you know, where does that come from? Is it just some people within the team? Have they already convinced Lawrence Stroll or told Lawrence Stroll that that's what they're trying to do? Does he agree with that? That we don't know yet. So I don't know if there's different lines of thinking in Aston Martin about what they really want to do. And as you say, if you want to finish second in the championship or challenge for world titles, you need to have two cars on the podium. So it's going to be very interesting to see if there's going to be a shift there between what, you know, you know, being a stroll project uh, to an actual bona fide top team. There is a frustration as well in the every now and again you will see a result from Lance Strong. You think, why can't he do that every single week? Well, you know, his result in Turkey in 2020, for example, that pole position and being in the hunt for, for race victory, obviously uh, changeable conditions kind of threw that out the window. But um, you see that and you think, why can't he do that every week? He's just got zero consistency, but on his day, he's he's very, very quick. The problem is his days are too few and far between. But I think when you consider Aston's position in the championship, they might have lost fourth uh, in, in the standings today. But we've got circuits coming up that they should be very, very strong at, um, particularly Singapore. Um, Japan should be another circuit as well, um, which isn't, you know, it, it's certainly a, a downfall circuit and very, very technical. And it's one that you sort of expect Fernando Alonso to be very, very strong at in particular. So I think there's opportunities for them to, to come back and there'll be days when as well, Ferrari being very inconsistent this season, um, will have races where it's just no inexplicably nowhere for, uh, and they, even they don't know why. So I think, you know, Aston will have plenty of chances to get that back. I think P2 is probably a little bit too far away at the moment now but um yeah p3 is not gone yet and they might have lost it now but they can get it back we're really really clever now and say that actually lance stroll is very consistent because he's consistently inconsistent and then i feel really smug and proud of myself and you three look at me like i'm a complete idiot no, and I'm, not, say I'm, just, I'm jotting it down right now yeah. Magazine at some point. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I, want, I want you to quote me as well. Um, and they'll go, who? <laughs> Who's that guy? Uh, actually, if you look at context of it, Fernando Alonso this season, he's scored seven podiums, whereas Stroll's best results fourth, but he's, he's a long way down on there. So, you know, it really does feed the argument, doesn't it, that Aston absolutely need to, st- to sort this out for 2024. And he's also started more world championship grand prix now than you know jack brabham and mario andretti you know it's it's not like we're you know he's always oh, still building up to it it's like we we know what he is now we know how good he is and 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 you know jbl was right like that he does have his moments but yeah he's not a hopeless racing driver let's 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 say that he's definitely not but yeah it's just it's once in a blue moon isn't it that, that we get a, a sort of prime lance stroll and i think when you were in the in the midfield and you were seventh and eighth and you had a you had an obvious number one. It perhaps didn't matter so much, but when you're in, when you're up against people that have got, you know, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton or Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc in the other cars, you can't. Yeah, you're fighting with you're fighting with one car, really, aren't you? Well, there's two other teams we haven't mentioned so far. I'm talking about you know a clear lead driver in McLaren with Lando Norris. He's scored more than double the points of Oscar Piastri. What are our thoughts on 
Well, what are your thoughts? I know mine. What are your thoughts on the performances this weekend? For Piastri, maybe slightly unfair, saying he finished 12th after what happened with him and Hamilton. But yeah, what are your thoughts there? It was probably what the team expected. It knows that it doesn't have the top line, uh, straight line speed, sorry. Um, we've known this as far back as as Baku, where it was about 13 kilometres an hour down on um, the other top four teams. So... It was it was always going to happen. They've made some fantastic strides this season, but when it comes to circuits like this, it just it, it knows it's not going to, to to be at this level of pace. And it wasn't quite like Spa, where it had turned up with a high downforce rear wing, hemorrhaged positions, then Norris somehow got it into points contention after being at the back. Um, this was a little bit more straightforward. Um, I think lower reaches of the points were always going to be the limit of what it could do um and you know you, you the problem was just sort of like i think it was just a little bit scruffy in well piastri had a little bit of a scruffy day yeah sure hamilton's the incident with hamilton was his fault but um you know passing lawson like that and not giving the position back at the second chicane that was a bit silly i think he probably could have uh, given norris a little bit of a wider berth as well when it came to coming out of the pits and you know that that contact could have been a lot nastier than the the the, the minimal effect they actually had um and so I th- there were moments of clumsiness and that's when these drivers do get closer together when you know piastri gets fully up to speed and you would imagine that would to be kind of like next season as teammates um there would have to be i think preempting kind of measures to put in place because i think they'll get a little bit handsy and a little bit all over each other you've kind of seen the hint of that with andreas stella has been quite punchy hasn't he about the the contact that they had which on the face of it seems a bit harsh because really what happened was piastri understood inside orlando it was I don't know. It was deliberate. It was just oh, he went in a bit hot, and and they you know they knocked. Although it could it could have been worse, but I think what he can probably see happening is that you know Piastri is proper. He's the next proper race winning championship challenging driver if his career goes in the right direction. I'm sure Lando knows that as well, and Lando's still waiting for his chance to be a championship challenging driver because we know he is. So they're you know that's potentially a very strong. Uh, driver. Well, he's a very strong driver anyway, and it could be in the next twelve months even stronger. Um, and Stella's going to probably have to manage that situation more and more as Piastri, because Lando does tend to still have the race pace edge. Yeah, he does still, you know, Piastri did a good job in qualifying. Norris still tends to have that a little bit, but will that continue? Will Piastri get closer? It's an interesting problem for McLaren to have, but again, they've got two two drivers in the fight, haven't they? Well, of course, what prompted the whole incident in the first place was that Piastri was undercut by Norris again, which happened the first time in Hungary then I think it was justified because they would have genuinely lost a position as a team if they hadn't done that. But this is like the first, uh, the second time that Norris is behind Piastri and therefore Piastri should be the one being brought in first. But they decided to box Norris first. You know, Piastri came out of the pits on cold, hard tyres and was you know, maybe taking more risks than he should have done to, to keep his position. I just wonder if being undercut was sort of what prompted his feisty defence. Now, you know, Oscar is way too mature and wise beyond his years to, to comment on that. So I'm sure you'll be reviewed first before they say more about that. But I'm not sure it was as justified here as it was in Hungary. So, you know, it's, it's something to be a bit mindful of. 
we haven't mentioned yet and obvious reasons they barely featured in any of the coverage and yet they had in my opinion one of the most beautiful looking cars out there and that's the Alfa Romeo the livery on that was absolutely stunning Zhou Guan Yu well he climbed up the order a bit Bottas finished in the points for the third time this season uh, anything we can say about Alfa Romeo this weekend Bottas was good wasn't he um made an alternate strategy uh, well I say an alternate strategy he, he hung it out for quite a while on those medium tyres got a point out of it which was I think his first point in in many a long uh, many a long year the team has struggled of late for form um, the w- weekend started off in, in, in miserable fashion uh, we saw an FP1 um, both had uh, clutch programming issues that needed to be rectified and then the, the the balance was just absolutely nowhere near where it needed to be. Bottas was reporting something for stalling at the back. Joe said it was undrivable. Bottas said it was undrivable. So to come from that to, to nicking a point at the end, I think that's a pretty good effort. The fact that it was, it, I think with about 10 laps to go, um, Sergeant was P10 and then Bottas nicked it. I think if anyone was kind of looking at the timing tower again, oh, Logan's under his first point here and then... Bottas has got it. Might have been a little bit disappointed, but um, decent, solid day given given their travails of late. Yeah, it's the sort of drive that, that that's what Bottas is there for, isn't it? You know, he's a proven race winner. He's very experienced. We know that on his day, <laughs> um, he's very, very good. Uh, and he's, I think, perhaps he's not had enough of those days for them this year. Um, I know the car's not been brilliant either, but yeah, he did. He he got that point. You know, it's, if, if you look at the, you know, the, the cars ahead of him, you know, he's never going to beat them, is he? So to get to manage to pick off that point, I suspect Alfa Romeo would be pretty pretty happy with that. And just not so happy with the fact that they spent all that time and money designing a beautiful looking car, and we saw it fleetingly yeah, during the coverage, isn't it? It always is a shame when when you see that sort of thing. I'm going to pretty much wrap this up right now. But before I do, quick look ahead to a couple of weeks' time with Singapore. What can we expect? What what are going to be the big differences going into Singapore? It's going to be night time. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Aston Martin will be better. It's a street track, so Perez might be a bit close to Verstappen. It'd be nice if he could get his qualifying act together and actually, you know, be there with Max at the start, but I still think, you know, all things even Max wins. Uh, Ferrari probably won't be as good. Yeah, it'll be, it'll, the midfield will probably mix up nicely. So, that yeah, if you took the Red Bulls out of the equation, it would be a really interesting season because it goes, I mean, we've said that a few times, haven't we? It's a bit of a cliche, really. But it, it, it does swing backwards and forwards uh, and it's been a brilliant fight behind them. But, I, I mean, I can't see how it won't be 11 straight wins in Singapore. Yeah, we thought, you know, maybe Monza is going to be the most difficult track for Red Bull. You know, maybe more out of hope or desperation than anything else for, you know, as a neutral fan. Now we're like, okay, next race, Singapore. Maybe Singapore will be the most challenging race track for Red Bull because they're not that good on the bumps. And Singapore has a a couple here and there. So, you know, do we do have to go there? Do we have to think that Red Bull are going to lose that one? I don't know. That's probably, you know, we have to try and keep it interesting, don't we? But uh, like, yeah, like Kevin Kevin said, it's probably just going to be 11 in a row unless uh, something strange happens. I think it's going to be it's going to be super interesting with these two next flyaways. Um, Singapore, particularly, it just rewards so much, you know, compliance in the in the suspension. Um, 
it's a very different it's well slightly different track layout this year actually um because we don't have that kind of weird underpass section it's just going to be a big straight line section so when it comes to that given we've got that it's hard not to kind of say mm, well a red bull is going to have a nice big advantage there um it will, because you know that we've got this added straight in the in the program um and then we've got suzuka which is uh, probably the first real i think verstappen can theoretically wrap it up in singapore if things go his way but Japan's probably going to be the the first real possibility that he, he, he knocks it on the head for this year. But, you know, we all know and love Suzuka. Um, whatever it brings, rain, shine, anything like that. It's just one of the most technical circuits on the calendar and I can't wait to see it. Not a single one of you mentioned flexi front wings. Shall we do another podcast for it? No, let's not. But the tightening of the regs, is that going to mix it up at all or not? No. Brilliant. Right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should we should finish on a positive note though. That Ferrari did a great job this weekend and made Monza more interesting than it could have been. There you have it. Uh, I want to finish it with one word answer from you. Well, it might be a two word answer. It is best livery of the weekend. Ferrari had a special one, didn't they? Uh, Alpha had a, a special one too. The others were kind of standard. So let's start with JBL. Best livery of the weekend. Oh, I think Ferrari. I'm having that one. That was lovely. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Ferrari as well, I'm afraid. There's a tip to the Le Mans thing as well, which is cool. I like both, but Alpha for me. And seeing as you were there, I think your vote counts twice. So um, I have fair. one vote. I'm saying Alpha, so it's 3-2 to Alpha. <laughs> there you go. I feel this was thanks. rigged. Unbelievable. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Go to a tribunal. Up to the stewards we go. Gents, thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure. So to to Phil, to Philip Clearan, to Jake Boxall-Leg, and to Kevin Turner, thank you very much. Thumbs up don't work, JBL. <laughs> Thumbs up don't work on a podcast. I forgot this is a purely oral medium, but yes, uh, thank you very much for having us. My pleasure, Green. It's been wonderful. How's that? I look forward to the next one. Thank you very much indeed. Well, the circus rolls on to Singapore with a tightening of the flexi front wing regs. What will it bring? Well, nothing, apparently. Join us next time to find out on the Autosport podcast. From me, Bryn Lucas, and all my guests this weekend, thanks for joining us. Arrivederci. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.